listening to Sean of the South. We're coming to you live via radio and via the podcast airwaves. That music you hear behind me right now is Green Sky. Everybody, Green Sky.
going to read a little bit of our mail, a little bit of our mail here today, sent in to us from listeners all around the U.S., just like you, listeners just like you, only with a considerably more bleak future because they've chosen to write us. <laughs> Dear Sean, writes Mr. Lewis Van from Parrot, Georgia. Dear Sean, what is happening to Southern English? It seems to be disappearing in the age of the internet. I'm afraid that one day everybody is going to talk the same and there will be no such thing as regional dialect. Dear Lewis, I understand exactly what you're saying, exactly what you're saying, but I tell you, do not fear, do not fear one little lick because I saw something on the news that should give you heart, give you, give you a little bit of hope. They said they are teaching Southern English in great schools. Now, it's only fair, if you ask me, because ever since the Army wore knickerbockers and carried guns with spears on the tops, kids have been learning Yankee Doodle English, the kind of English that requires you to lift your pinky, the kind of English that requires a little teacup and saucer, the kind of English that tells you what a crumpet is but doesn't explain what hoe cake is. Children used to be taught long ago the chair had one syllable. <laughs> well, anybody from the Yellowhammer State, anybody from the top of the Sunshine State, anybody from Georgia, Mississippi, Arkansas, Tennessee, North Carolina, anybody would tell you that words like chair have two syllables, just like the words flower, fire, and bayed. Matter of fact, I'm a little wrong right there. Fire where I come from has one syllable. We spell it F-A-R. But anyway, let's talk about cussing. Now, I got to keep this clean because this is a family show, but I do need to mention it that Northerners do not cuss right. They use certain swear words and they make them sound like assault rifles. That ain't right. If you're going to cuss in the great American South, you do it, you do it, in a way that sounds like you are Andy Griffith reading the Psalms. <laughs> Furthermore, there are words here in the Deep South commonly slurred so fast you just might miss them. And these words, these words need to be taught to our children in order to preserve, to preserve our country and to keep us moving forward. Example, the word fitna. F-I-T-N-A, fitna. Example, I'm finna go home in a few minutes. Another example, I finna go to the grocery store. Another example, I finna go to Bible study tonight and we are finna pray for you. And of course, we have the word A-H-I-T-E, pronounced I. Example, for those of you here tonight who are not familiar with this word, Sister So-and-So has been sick as a dog. Godly, I hope she's feeling I. Or another example for you. My father, he said that he was feeling very ill last week, but right now he's feeling all right. We also have a word that I like to call a combination word, which is M-O-K-A-N-A, Mokana, Mokana. An example for you here might be, my pants aren't white, but Mokana grayish. Mokana. And of course, we have the wonderful word which has no vowel in it, which is pronounced psht, which means you are dead to me. 
Just imagine. Did you hear what so-and-so did to so-and-so? Pshht. I can't believe that boy. Example. Are you trying to tell me that you mowed the lawn when I can see that the grass is about 10 inches high? Pshht. Tell me that boy. Then there are words we have whose southern definitions are quite unclear. Words that are varying from state to state and region to region. Words like yonder. In Georgia, for instance, yonder means wherever I point. But over here in northwest Florida, yonder means way, way, way in the distance. In Alabama, yonder can mean anywhere from the kitchen to your bedroom to right here. We have words like rectally. Rectally. I don't think that this has anything to do with a thermometer that goes in the the rear region of your hind parts. No, this word rectally is something that we use when it's time to do something soon, such as we're going to eat dinner rectally. It is short for directly. And, of course, we have the word just the other day. Just the other day refers to any date on the calendar after the birth of Christ. Anyway, Lewis, one more thing I'd like to mention. I'm also tired of jokes that feature the cute catchphrase, bless your heart. I'm telling you the truth. Contrary to popular belief, I feel like this little phrase is being misused in all sorts of internet chain email jokes. They claim this thing is just a southern jab. It's a way of being passive aggressive and saying somebody is challenged or a little bit stupid. I don't believe it. Contrary to, to popular belief, a real southern jab is, is something like, isn't she precious? Or, oh, I just love your haircut. It really slims your face. Of course, the worst cotton state insult of all time. That poor, poor girl. We pray for her in Bible study every week, which is downright God awful. And Lewis, you better hope to God it ain't true. That's letters from our listeners. We're going to have an opportunity here from Green Sky Bluegrass Band, Green Sky. Try me. 
Church up the road, church up the road from my house is a little tiny church. They have 10 members, 10 members in their church, one of which is 94 years old, Miss Milligan. She's the kind of woman who can, who can still go to her kitchen window, make herself a little bit of tea on the stove, and when she spots a little doe or a buck outside her window, she will open up her kitchen window. And she will get herself a 12-gauge shotgun. And she will blow that deer to kingdom come. Then she will call her son. Then she will call her son, who will come over with his truck that, that afternoon. And he will dress that deer. He'll field dress that deer right in her front lawn. She just did that a few weeks ago. Oh, she's something else. She's something else. She is a faithful member of that 10-person church. She's been going there for about 65 years. 65 years. You see, a lot of people judge the success of a community based on the numbers. And in our world, 
big is better. At least that's the common ideology. It's been, it's been spread all throughout the nation that bigger is better. People believe that bigger businesses are better than smaller businesses. People believe that bigger churches are better than smaller churches. People believe that bigger cars are better than smaller cars. Just go on the highway and look and see if you don't believe me. Once upon a time, you could see a little four-cylinder station wagon driving along a two-lane highway. Today you will see an SUV roughly the size of a Sherman tank driving down the interstate going around 112 miles an hour with a family of 30 in the back because bigger is better in this world. The people in this church up the road from my house don't believe that bigger is better. They're from the old generations. The old generations believed that small things, small things had just as much value as big things, if not more. If not more. Houses were smaller a long time ago. Porches were smaller. Sofas were smaller. My, my granny had a sofa inside her den that I will never forget. It was about the size of an envelope. And she'd sit on that sofa and she'd chain smoke cigarettes. She'd chain smoke while watching Billy Graham on the TV. And she would tell me to sit right in front of the TV because I was her remote control in front of that television. It was a small television. Today, TVs are roughly the size of a of a grand piano. Times have changed. But the small church in the sticks is a pretty little church. The members keep it keep it maintained well. Brother Ralph is the preacher there, and he's been preaching at this church as an interim pastor for about fifty years. When he first accepted the position as an interim pastor, he said that it was only going to be temporary, only going to be temporary until they could find a permanent man. But the the congregation numbers kept dwindling and dwindling, and he stayed on. He works for free. He doesn't draw a salary. He's, He's on retirement now from working in his days in factories, he's a factory worker, a blue-collar man. He has thick forearms, even still, and hands like hams. And he's got a large, wide face and crystal blue eyes and white hair that he still combs in that same way that 1950s preachers used to comb their hair. There's a special way 1950s and 1960s preachers used to comb their hair. It's a cross between Andy Griffith and the Great Wall of China. It's a long, tall hairstyle, which requires a little bit of brill cream, a little bit of hairspray, and lots of time in front of the mirror, and a little bit of witch hazel splashed on the cheeks after you shave. He's a throwback to another time. I can see pictures on the wall of this church of him in the black and white photographs, he's standing with his congregation back then. They, they were a much bigger church. They had about 35 to 40 members. And he's standing in front of them, and his hair is white even a long time ago. He went prematurely white. And he's got the skinny tie on, which is representative of his, his era. And that tiny, skinny little belt, that skinny little belt. Back then, men wore little belts. People believed and little things. And he's standing there in front of this clapboard building with his members behind 
him and everybody is smiling. You can see everybody from the old days. You can see Brother Paul, Brother Paul who raised cattle, exotic cattle. You can see Sister Indalou Lambert. Sister Indalou Lambert, she, she took a trip. She took a trip through all 50 states one year and then she came back to church to talk about it, never forget it. A few weeks ago, Brother Ralph was camping with his wife. He likes to camp. He's got a big old fifth wheel, a fifth wheel, which is 28 foot long. He invested way too much money in this thing, and he had a concrete pad installed on the back of his property with a little little gravel area for, for he can park his truck right next to it, and he's... He's got a little utility shed. He'd like to take this fifth wheel out camping at least two or three times a year. They go everywhere within a three-hour radius. They've gone to New Orleans. They've gone up to Oak Mountain State Park. They go, go just outside Atlanta. That's the farthest they've gone. That's a six-hour drive. Going to Atlanta is like going to another country. He hooks this thing up to his F-250 and he drives and he drives with his wife sitting in the car beside him and she will crochet or she will knit little things in the, in the passenger seat for his children, for his son and his daughter. And they had parked at a campsite in northwest Florida called Indian Pass, Florida. It's a little tiny sleepy village just where the bay meets the Gulf of Mexico, and he parked at this little campground, which is the kind of campground with dirt pads instead of concrete pads and outhouses because you cannot use the bathrooms inside your trailer. At least you can't use them and expect to dump your black water anywhere because there's nowhere for the black water to go. There are no sewage lines. And so once a week, a little truck with a big tank on the back and a pump on the front, a truck they called the Honey Wagon, <laughs> sucks the sewage tanks of these campers dry. And that's how, I'm glad I brought that up to you tonight because I know you were wondering how that was taken care of. <laughs> and you pass campgrounds, wonderful place. It's a wonderful place. It's like going back in time on the map. Like going back in time, you can sit out on a big wide beach free from the, from the atrocities of the condos and the, and the large beach houses which look like giant monsters. No, you can see small beach houses, old beach houses with wraparound porches and little swings on the back that, that people built a hundred years ago. Brother Ralph was getting his camper all situated. There's a lot to do when you go camping now. You have to open up every compartment and you have to string hoses out from the black water tanks and to the fresh water tanks. And you have to string thick power cables, thick power cables out. And he was getting his camper set up and he just unveiled his large awning. The awning is a piece of equipment, a modus apparatus on the front of the fifth wheel that folds over the door to shield you from sunlight and rain. It's a very important piece because most people's camping trip actually takes place outside the camper instead of inside the camper. After all, why would you travel somewhere just to sit inside a formaldehyde box? 
And so he had just unveiled his awning, and his awning is a, is a vinyl awning with two aluminum bars that hold it away from the trailer about 15 feet or so. And he was walking around the trailer, and he had forgotten to watch out for those bars. And he smacked his forehead into the bars of that awning so hard that it knocked him clean backward onto his hind parts. And he hit the dirt. He hit that bar so hard that his wife heard it inside the trailer. And she tore out of that front door and she came to find him laid on the ground with his head in his hands. But he was not making a sound. He wasn't crying. He wasn't moaning. He wasn't doing nothing. He was just laid there in the fetal position. And she said, oh, Ralph, oh, Ralph, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he didn't say a thing. He did not say a thing. His eyes were open. She said, what happened? He said, I think Jesus is coming back. (laughs) She helped him up to his feet, and he kind of stumbled into the trailer. He could hardly keep himself Walking in a straight line, she had to hold on to his arms for balance. She helped him into their little den and up those two steps into their little bedroom. And she laid him on that bed and she covered him up. And she turned on the air conditioning unit to full blast cold. And she placed a rag over his head and she gave him some some Tylenol and she sat with him. And something was wrong. He was not himself. Every time she would ask him something, he would come out with with a little bit of scripture from the book of Job. (laughs) She asked him how he was feeling, and he said, Naked I have come into this world, and naked I shall depart. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. (laughs) Thanks be to God. (laughs) She said, Is there anything I can do for you? Anything I can do? Do you need anything to eat? But he felt a little nauseous. He wasn't himself. One of the men at the Indian Pass campground had to help hook up that fifth wheel to the F-250 truck. And it was Ralph's wife, Brother Ralph's wife, who drove that camper home. She drove it home along the interstate. It was amazing. She piloted through heavy traffic. This is a summertime, and the interstates and the roadways are clogged with people who are all trying to go the same places and arrive at the same time and check in at the same day. Those big condos on the beach, those large atrocity beach houses around, around Destin and Pensacola. She drove home, and when she got to their neighborhood, she, she found me. She knocked on my door. She said, my husband, Brother Ralph, he's, he's, he's just not himself. He's not feeling well. He hit his head. And I need help backing this fifth wheel into, into my little, that little place behind our house. Well, backing a trailer up ain't too easy. It's, it's something that separates the men from the boys. I can remember my childhood. Real men were the kind of men who could back up fishing boats and, and utility trailers and they could do it without saying more than one or two cuss words. <laughs> I'm okay at, at backing, a, backing a fishing boat or a trailer up, but I ain't great. My brother Ralph, he's great. 
I remember watching him back, back something up a long time ago, and he did it with his eyes closed. Of course, of course, most of the men who I know who try to back up things, they do it with the assistance of a, of a sweaty can and the dashboard. I backed that trailer up into that little concrete pad. It only took me, it only took me 45 minutes and 17,000 cuss words to get it right, but I got it right. I went in to go visit Brother Ralph, and he, he wasn't himself. He was saying strange things. I, I asked him how he was feeling, and he said, Honor thy father and mother, and it shall go well with you, for it is the only commandment in the Bible with a promise that you will live a long life. And then he held up his hands the same way Dr. Spock would hold up his hands in Star Trek, split between the middle finger and the ring finger, and he said, live long and prosper, little boy. (laughs) Oh, he wasn't well. He wasn't well. And on Sunday, that's when things got really hairy because nobody was available to preach the sermon. There was no way he could preach. He couldn't even get up out of bed to go to go to church. And it was the first Sunday anybody could recall him missing since 1984. It had been a long time since Brother Ralph had called in sick for a Sunday service. But it was absolutely impossible for him to do the work of the Lord this Sunday. His wife stood up behind at the pulpit and she told everybody what had happened. She said, Brother Ralph and I were camping over at Indian Pass campground. And he was extending the awning on the side of our trailer and he walked straight into the awning. I believe the doctor said he has a contusion, which is good news, hallelujah, because it could have been worse. He could have had a concussion or even, even worse, God forbid, a hematoma. And ten congregational members just sat there and they looked at her and they looked at each other. And it was still Sunday. And they still had 45 minutes to kill. <laughs> Normally Brother Ralph leads more than just the preaching. He leads the singing too. He's got a good tenor voice. And he'll sing songs like, Oh, come, come, come to the church In the wild Lord." The little brown church in the day. No place is as pure to my childhood as a little brown church in the day. He'll sing all sorts of songs like, I saw the light and Savior like a shepherd lead thee and, and see by the portals he's waiting and watching. Calling for you and for me Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling Calling, oh sinners, come home Only Brother Ralph will get the words right Unlike I just did No, he's got it He's got his Sunday routine down They were lost without him They were lost the first person to step up was a man in church with, with violent red hair, even though he's in his mid-70s. He never did lose the color of his hair, except on the sides of the temples where it's turned a little bit white. He stood up, he walked to the front. 
behind the pulpit. He said, I'd like to lead us in prayer for Brother Ralph. You see, Brother Ralph is a very, very precious man to me. Very precious man. He baptized me. He baptized me when I was, when I was a young man, a wayward young man. He married me and my wife. And he dedicated both my kids right here, right here behind this pulpit. And when the time came, he buried, many of you know. And he led a little prayer for Brother Ralph. It wasn't a long prayer. It was just a little one. He didn't use any big words. He used, he used simple words, just like he was talking to his next-door neighbor. And then service let out. And that night, while Brother Ralph's wife was, was sitting on the bed beside him, crocheting, she kept a cold rag on his forehead. That's when the casserole started showing up on the porch. First, it was a squash casserole with lots of cheese. Cheese covers a multitude of sins. That's written in the book, the first book of Thessalonians somewhere. <laughs> then came the scalloped potato casserole, also with lots of cheese. Cheese is a Baptist sacrament, you'll note. And then came cheese chicken casserole. And then came that glorious casserole that Baptist people have been making since the earth cooled with those little tiny potatoes cut just about the size of your thumbnail. They're scattered along the bottom of the pan. They're covered with cheese and cornflakes. Cornflakes. Hallelujah. I don't know what this casserole is called, and I don't care. I love it. And then came the biscuits. The biscuits covered in a basket with a little dish rag. And then came... Then came the pot roasts and the paper-wrapped hams and the jars of jellies and preserves and pickles. People brought all sorts of stuff. They just left it right there on the porch. Little things. Brother Ralph, he laid in bed for two whole weeks. It took him a long time to recover. But he finally made it back to church Finally made it back to church this past Sunday. And when he came into that church building, when he came into that church building, there were 75 people sitting in the pews. And I was there. 75 people were sitting inside. The place was busting at the seams. There was even a few people standing in the back so that the older ladies could have a place to sit. These were people who come from out of town just to see Brother Ralph take the pulpit again. Yes, sir, it's a little old church, just a little old church. Little things that matter more to me the older I get. Little things. After all, somewhere in time, a famous person once said, that the big man upstairs keeps his good eye on the smallest of sparrows. And if he's watching the smallest of sparrows, then you know he's probably watching you. Yes, sir. 
Good to have you back, Brother Ralph. Good to have you back. Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today. Sean Dietrich and has been a bonafide pleasure, if I do say so myself. Hope you join us next week and possibly even the week after that if you ain't got nothing going on. That music heard behind me today was Green Sky Bluegrass. Anders Beck, Michael Bont, Dave Bruza, Michael Devil, and Paul Hoffman on the mandolin. These guys aren't just good. These guys are real good. They play about 175 shows a year and they've graduated to headlining status at some of country music's most iconic venues selling out amphitheaters like the Red Rocks and maybe one you've heard of called the Ryman Auditorium. They've become a regular name on the festival circuit, New Orleans Jazz Festival, Austin City Limits, Fort Castle, and Bonnaroo. These guys aren't just something you need to listen to. These are something you owe it to yourself and mankind to listen to. So check out their site greensky.com and check out a few of their albums on iTunes and all the other platforms you can think of. Find anything more about what I do, you can visit SeanOfTheSouthShow.com. And while there, I hope you drop me a line, tell me about your birthday announcements, your grandfather's birthday, your grandmother's birthday, wedding announcements, wedding invitations, bar mitzvah invitations. And don't forget to include funny stories or touching stories or any kind of story you can think of. And if I'm so inclined, I will read it over there because I love to do that sort of thing for my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, even if you're on the right track, you're bound to get run over if you just sit there. Adios.